This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day, welcome to episode 33 of AFF On Air. It is Saturday the 4th of April 2020 and I'm your host Matt Graham. A lot has changed in just a few weeks. Australians are now banned from travelling overseas and in some cases even interstate. And most airlines around the world have now massively cut back their schedules or even stopped flying altogether. Many Australians that were overseas when things started to change have now managed to get home. But for some travellers, this hasn't been possible. In today's episode, I speak to two Australians that are still currently stuck overseas and they don't know when they're going to have a chance to get home. Also coming up, the final Qantas 747 passenger flight landed in Sydney last weekend. This will be another longer episode, but well, a lot's happened in the last two weeks, so there is a lot to talk about. And first up, let's uh, dissect the travel and frequent flyer news from the last fortnight. Now, let's start off with some good news. Royal Air Maroc has joined the One World Alliance on the 1st of April. This means that you can now earn Qantas points and status credits and redeem Qantas points for flights on Royal Air Maroc. The airline operates flights across Europe and Northern Africa from its hub in Casablanca. It also operates long-haul flights to Brazil, the United States, Canada, the Middle East and China, at least under normal circumstances anyway. It's the first African airline to join the One World Alliance, and although Royal Air Maroc does not fly to Australia, it does fly to quite a few One World hubs, including London, Madrid, Doha, New York, and Sao Paulo. I had a quick look, and I couldn't actually see any business class award availability on Royal Air Maroc for booking with Qantas points, but uh, there is plenty of economy award availability, so this could at least be a useful addition to the One World Alliance if you're booking a One World Classic flight reward in economy class down the track. And if you have status with Qantas Frequent Flyer or any other One World airline for that matter, you will now receive reciprocal benefits when flying on Royal Air Maroc, and that includes access to the new Casablanca Lounge at the airline's home airport. The full partnership between BP Rewards and Qantas Frequent Flyer is now live. If you choose to earn Qantas Frequent Flyer points at BP, you'll earn one Qantas point per litre of regular fuel and one point per dollar spent on eligible uh, BP in-store purchases, and the earn rate increases to two Qantas points per litre of BP Ultimate Unleaded. These points will be credited directly to your Qantas Frequent Flyer account if you opt into earning Qantas points. Alternatively, when you sign up to BP Rewards, you can opt into earning BP points. Uh, those points will be earned at the same rate, and they can then be redeemed for money off your fuel or in-store purchases at BP outlets. And with BP points, 500 points can be used to get $5 off, so the points are valued at a cent each. If you join BP Rewards and link your Qantas Frequent Flyer account by the 30th of June, you'll receive 100 bonus Qantas points and 10 status credits. In addition, you can earn up to 40 Qantas status credits by filling up at BP until the 30th of June. You'll earn 10 status credits for every 1,000 Qantas points that you earn through BP until June, up to a maximum of 40 status credits per member. Qatar Airways has temporarily increased flights to Australia, while most other airlines have pulled out. Over the coming weeks, Qatar Airways is flying twice a day to Perth and Melbourne, and three times a day uh, to Sydney from Doha. Qatar Airways has also temporarily launched a Doha to Brisbane flight, which will operate during the month of April. But flights from Doha to Adelaide and Canberra have been suspended. Qatar Airways is one of only a handful of major international airlines that's still operating a near-full schedule. The Qatari government is not currently allowing foreign nationals to enter the state of Qatar, but it is allowing transit passengers. 
Many other governments, including the United Arab Emirates, Singapore, Russia, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and now also mainland China, have temporarily banned transit passengers in an attempt to reduce the spread of COVID-19. British Airways has continued operating its London-Singapore-Sydney flight over the past few weeks, um, ever since the Singapore transit ban, with passengers remaining on board the aircraft while it's refueled in Singapore. But BA will suspend these flights as well from next week. Here in Australia, both Qantas and Virgin Australia have now suspended all regular international flights that came into effect from last weekend. Both airlines are still flying domestic routes, but at a greatly reduced rate, um, as is Jetstar. But all Tiger Air flights have now been grounded, and Regional Express, or REX, will stop most of its regional flights from next week, with the exception of a limited route network in Queensland that is backed by the state government. After Australia's regional airlines warned that they may not survive even a few weeks um, more without government support, the government has announced a $300 million package to support regional airlines in Australia. This will be used uh, to subsidise services to 138 regional communities that rely on air travel, Um, but Qantas and Virgin Australia have not been included in this package. The government has not yet ruled out more support for the aviation industry, but says that it does not plan to nationalise individual airlines. And as domestic flights are cut right back, so too have the airline's in-flight service offerings. Virgin Australia is no longer offering complimentary snacks and most drinks in economy class. Instead, economy passengers are now receiving complimentary water only, with other snacks and drinks available for purchase. Virgin business class passengers are still receiving meals. But Qantas has taken an even more extreme approach to cost-cutting. The meal service on Qantas domestic flights in both economy and business class is now suspended. Instead, economy passengers are receiving a bottle of water and a refreshment item, including on flights where hot meals are usually served, and business class passengers are now being served only water and a snack box. From yesterday, Qantas has also switched off all in-flight entertainment and onboard Wi-Fi in what appears to be a cost-cutting measure. Qantas had already removed the in-flight magazines. I mean... Wow, I I completely understand that airlines have to cut costs, but I never expected to see this. Uh, I mean, before long, Qantas and Virgin will... It'll be almost like flying on a full-service airline in Europe. Both Qantas and Virgin have also now closed all of their airport lounges due to the new social distancing guidelines outlined by the Australian government two weeks ago. In response, Qantas has announced they will extend all paid Qantas Club memberships by six months, and the validity of complimentary electronic Qantas lounge invitations have also been extended by half a year. Qantas has also extended the validity of credit vouchers that are being offered to travellers that wish to cancel their trips. You now have until the end of April to request a voucher, and those are now being valid until the 31st of December 2021, which does actually give a reasonable opportunity to use the voucher at least. In another cost-cutting move, Qantas will discontinue its chauffeur drive service for passengers flying between Australia and London in business or first class. Bookings for this service will continue to be accepted until the 15th of April for travel until April 2021. So if you currently have a Qantas flight booked to London, uh, make sure you book your chauffeur drive service before then. Meanwhile, Finnair has just announced a new seat selection fee for business class passengers. The exact fee ranges from $54 to $271 per flight, depending on the length of the flight and the type of seat. Seats that are considered to be more desirable, such as window seats and throne seats on the the A330s, uh, will cost more. 
Now this charge is being waived if you have a business flex ticket or if you have One World Sapphire or Emerald status and it also does not seem to apply on flights departing from Japan. The state of Western Australia will properly close its borders on Sunday night to pretty much everybody including Western Australian residents. Only essential workers and people meet that meet a limited list of other exceptions will be allowed into Western Australia after Sunday night. The WA government has already instructed airlines not to allow non-residents to board flights to WA. Queensland has also implemented a hard border closure, but it appears for now that Queensland residents will still be allowed to return. And meanwhile, the Northern Territory government will force anyone arriving into the Territory from today to pay around $2,500 for mandatory hotel quarantine expenses. The states of South Australia and Tasmania are currently requiring travellers arriving from interstate to self-isolate for two weeks after arriving, and this is being enforced by police, who are conducting random checks to ensure people are self-isolating where they said they would be. Meanwhile, more airlines have announced status extensions for their frequent flyers. Singapore Airlines, which received around $21 billion in official in additional funding last week, meaning they should still be flying for a while, uh, will now offer Chris Flyer Elite and PPS Club members an extra year of status after Singapore initially dragged their feet on that. Uh, since the uh, last episode was released last fortnight, there have also been a few more airlines that have announced status extension policies. They include Turkish Airlines, Japan Airlines and Qatar Airways. In some more positive news, Qantas has finally come to an agreement with its pilots on Project Sunrise. Qantas pilots have agreed to Qantas management's demands and could operate uh, non-stop commercial flights from Sydney to London and New York by 2023 if Qantas commits to ordering some Airbus A350s. And finally, while airlines around the world have grounded their planes, there has been a huge reduction in global carbon emissions over the last few months. And according to a new study, Australia's carbon emissions from air travel could be cut in half this year if, uh, as flights remain grounded. Small mercies, perhaps, but I guess that could be one positive to come from this terrible situation that we're currently in. Well, that's a summary of the news for this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, um, as always, make sure you've subscribed to the Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow Australian Frequent Flyer on Facebook. On the 17th of March, the government started advising Australians that were already overseas to return home. On the 18th of March, the government then changed its advice level for the entire world to do not travel. And since the 25th of March, Australians have been banned from leaving the country, with some specific exceptions. This all happened very quickly, and while many thousands of Australians that were overseas at the time have now made it home, not everyone has been able to. There are currently hundreds of Australians, for example, that have been stuck in Peru ever since the start of lockdown and a ban on international flights was called by the Peruvian government. And this happened a day before DFAT started advising Australians to come home. There are also Australians still stuck on cruise ships and in many other countries. And for these people, getting home is currently easier said than done. I recently spoke to two Australian travellers who are currently stranded overseas. Um, both of these people left Australia well before the government's advice not to travel. In the first interview, I speak to Yasmin Uzunla from New South Wales, who is currently stuck in Cusco, Peru. And after this um, is an interview with Max Larkin, a chef from Western Australia, who's currently in Rishikesh, India. Here are their stories. 
Joining me now on the podcast is Yasmin Uzunla, who has been stuck in Peru uh, for the last few weeks and is trying to get back to Australia, but hasn't had a lot of success so, so far. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Yasmin. Thanks, Matt. So, um, yeah, you've been in Peru for a few weeks now, um, ever since it went into lockdown, obviously, and you're currently in Cusco. So, I guess, firstly, what were you doing in Peru and... Uh, yeah, why, why did you travel there originally? Uh, I came to Peru um, because a long life dream has always been to see Machu Picchu. Um, so <clears throat> off the back of a big holiday to Brazil, um, which started earlier in February, um, me and my friends decided we would tack this on after that and um, go and see the, one of the you know seven wonders of the world. Mm. Okay, and did, did you actually manage to see Machu Picchu before the lockdown was called? No, we, no, I didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> I did get to climb Rainbow Mountain and that's it. Okay, okay. Well, that's something at least. But okay, so, yeah. you, so you got to Cusco and um, the curfew uh, or the lockdown in, in Peru was called around the 16th of March, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So what happened yeah, when that was called and what did you try and do? Well, we had um, on on the Sunday, on the 15th, we had started the first day of our four-day tour, which was going to end in Machu Picchu. After the tour guide had dropped us off to our hotel, you know, we were just minding our own business, excited for the next day. And then later that night, he actually called our hotel and said that he was at reception and that he needed to speak to us. So this was about 10.30 at night. And we went downstairs and he explained that Unfortunately, the tour had to be cancelled. The president has made an announcement that the country, um, due to coronavirus, was going, pardon me, going to go into lockdown. Uh, and, he, you know, he was very sorry and that the travel agency that we bought, the tour company that we booked the tour through, would be in touch with us in the morning. Okay. So... <laughs> did that happen? Uh, well, <clears throat> that... It didn't happen that way. We then went back to our room, quite shocked, obviously, and quite like couldn't believe what was actually happening. No, so this, this then, came as a complete surprise, didn't it? Complete, complete surprise. Um, there was no indication. I mean, there were some people around that were wearing a mask. They did check our temperature when we arrived at Cusco Airport. But, I mean, there was nothing to show that the place was going to go into lockdown. And <clears throat> he called us again a bit later that same evening and advised us that he thought that it was best that we book a flight and we try and get ourselves to Lima on the Monday and um, try and get out if we can because all the, you know, the airports were going to close. So that's what we tried to do. Okay. And so, so what, what, was, what were the rules of the, of the lockdown? Like, I believe like all international flights were cancelled and I, I guess we also restricted to um, staying within Cusco once the lockdown came into force? Correct. Correct. Midnight on the Mon 11.59 on Monday the 16th, airport closed, um, no international flights and everyone had to stay indoors. All businesses that were non-essential were immediately closed, only banks pharmacies, supermarkets, and obviously like hospitals and medical centres um, were left open. There were no taxis, there was no Uber, <laughs> there was nothing. Wow. Just like that. Wow. Okay. So, so you tried to get out. What happened when you, when you booked your flights out? We booked our flights that night before, obviously, you know, middle of the night. Um, 
and tried to get a little bit of sleep. We then managed to arrange a taxi driver to pick us up at five the following morning and take us to the airport. And when we got there, it was just chaos. Um, Confirmation of the flights we had booked hadn't come through, but we still went to the airport because we were hopeful that they would come through by then. Um, And unfortunately, as the morning progressed, those flights got cancelled or the bookings got cancelled, I should say. Um, And the airport was just, there was people everywhere. It was like, it was like the world was ending. Couldn't get a ticket out. Lines were like going all the way down the airport and then curved back around all the way back and then down again. Um, It wasn't a great feeling, that's for sure. No. And for anyone who's not familiar with Peru, I mean, Cusco is not an international airport. I mean, we've seen some of the pictures from Lima where the international airport is located and even like people that were already in Lima um, could not Mm -hmm. get flights out. It was just absolutely kind of like what you're describing, but on an even even larger scale, just chaos. Um, All the flights were full. Um, There was just... Like for those who didn't have a ticket for that day, they wouldn't have had a chance to get out. And I mean, you, you guys, when you were in Cusco, which required a, mm-hmm. firstly a domestic flight to Lima and then another flight out Correct. of there. It's so yep. I, I can just imagine it would have been it would have been extremely stressful. And I mean, getting out would have been nearly impossible. So, so what did you do it, when? Yeah, yeah, when when you couldn't get a flight. Uh, well, um, and there was also no Wi-Fi at the airport. So unfortunately, me and my friend had to open our roaming <laughs> and you just have to let that thought go. Oh, um, and we were like, backup plan, how can we get out of here? We were like, if we can get ourselves to Lima, if we don't make an international flight, then at least we're in Lima, we're in the capital, you know, capital city and the next flight out we can go. And um, so we thought, well, let's catch a bus. That's the only other option we've got. So we went to the bus station <clears throat> bought ourselves a ticket that was leaving within you know 45 minutes of us being there and then an announcement was made over the loudspeaker at the bus station and um, the police then came as well and explained to everyone that as of midnight that night the police will also be on the roads surrounding cities stopping vehicles from entering so by midnight that night we would not have made it to Lima yet the estimated time of arrival to Lima for that bus was 8am. So we would have been, you know, almost three quarters of the way there, just over halfway. Um, And so they cancelled the bus, obviously, and we also weren't going to take it even if it went ahead. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So so you you were travelling also, you're telling me, with two other people. Um, Mm -hmm. They they have now managed to get back to Australia. So what, what happened with them? They did. Uh, my Both my friends are of Brazilian um, origin. Uh, one is an Australian resident and the other friend is a, also an Australian citizen as well, so she has both passports. Um, <clears throat> after the lockdown, obviously, um, a lot of people rallied together, so each kind of nationality, all the Brazilians kind of formed a WhatsApp group and were communicating with each other, just like how us Australians here in Peru, we all got on a messenger, Facebook messenger group, um, and trying to work out how can we go, trying to, you know, get um, the story out to media. And luckily enough for the Brazilians, <clears throat> by Friday night, my two friends received an email from their embassy um, with their names on a list that they were going to be picked up and taken to the airport on Saturday morning and then flown out of Cusco to Lima, Lima to Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that obviously (laughs) when you're travelling as a group um, makes it really hard on the person who's left out, which was me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we decided that 
we would all go together anyway. Um, I was always originally flying back to Brazil from Peru and then flying back to Sydney from Brazil. So um, we didn't know what it was going to be like. We We had no idea. So we thought, well, we may as well just try. So I went with them. And I tell you what, it was not easy. Uh, the police were at the square, at the corner of the square in Cusco, checking people's Brazilian passports. Um, I obviously did not qualify. I then got told to go elsewhere. I went elsewhere where there were some Argentinians. That was not uh, the right bus for me by any means. It was going, not going to the airport. I don't know, it was going to some other city. And I just thought, no, that's not right. That doesn't feel right. I'm going to go back. And what I did was instead of going straight back to the hotel that were willing to take us if we were, not, uh, if we were unable to leave, um, I went back to the square um, and I begged my way basically um, into the line with the Brazilians and the police officer allowed me to go after I said that my boyfriend was in the line and that I was travelling to Brazil with him and that I did have a ticket to Brazil. So I went with them, <clears throat> found them in the line and was lucky enough to go to the airport with them. However, when we got to the airport, after waiting for two hours in the cold out the front of the airport, they started calling names, which was the list that they had been emailed the night before. And the process, seeing the process of that happening, people being called, going up, showing their passport and then being allowed to get into the line, I quickly realised this isn't going to work for me, unfortunately. We tried, we've come, I've seen what it's like and I think I need to go back to the hotel. So I had to say goodbye to my friends and um, I then managed to get a police escort back to my hotel. Okay. So you're still at that hotel, are you? Uh, No, I'm in an Airbnb now. Um, The hotel was, it was good for the first couple of weeks, but the vibe as, as every nation was repatriating their people and people were leaving, and the vibe just started to go down and down, um, and the and we wanted something a little bit more economical. So, with a couple of friends that I made at the hotel, we decided to rent an Airbnb. Okay. So, so what's the situation now, like in Cusco? Well, the situation now is really almost every nation has repatriated their people, and we only have some Aussies and Kiwis pretty much left here. Um, And we are just really concerned that we're going to be stuck here for months and it's just not right. Um, Our government, we feel like our government has basically abandoned us and DFAT's role is to come to their citizens' aid in a foreign country. That's the role that they play and we just are quite devastated that we that they haven't done that. We don't feel like that's what they've done. Um, there seems to be some movement now. We have a little bit of hope that they're working on something for us now. Um, but until it happens, I'm not going to hold my breath. Mm. Have they been in communication with you? The communication now is working. So now we are being communicated with and we we. And we're happy with that. But for the past two weeks, and this is now almost week three, once we hit Sundays, so it's two and a half weeks. For the first two weeks, the communication was appalling. It was almost non-existent. No acknowledgement to emails, you know, being told <clears throat> the, you know, the embassy here was in Lima is, was closed and everyone was working from home. Their call centre was directed 
back to Canberra. People were calling that number. Canberra was saying, no, you've got to call the embassy in Lima. They're closed. It doesn't make sense. People in Canberra didn't know what to say. It just, yeah, not not ideal in any in any way. Wow. So I, I know that uh, Gus Higgins started the Aussies in Peru Facebook group yes. to connect all of yes. you guys. Has that been helpful at all? <clears throat> It's been amazing, honestly. I think a lot of people will have would have lost their minds by now if we didn't have that group. Um, it's hard, you know. Everyone has a different circumstance. Everyone has a different opinion. Everyone, you know, is is of different background, and you know. Um, but I feel like we've really come together. Um, we've put, you know, we've got our objectives of what we're trying to achieve, and that is to get everybody home, get people from rural areas safely to Cusco and Lima so that we can all go home. And um, we just really try and lift each other's spirits, help each other out. Um, you know, when someone says, my hostel's closing, they've just told me, where does anyone know where I can go? Everyone's there to help each other, you know. I feel like we are really living the Aussie, Aussie spirit over here together. Oh, that's good to hear. So there's some mm. yeah, some, some shade of light in all of this. There um, is a little, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a, a charter flight organised this week, um, organised by Chimu Adventures in conjunction mm -hmm. with DFAT, I believe, and it was a Latam Airlines flight from – there was a flight from Cusco to Lima and then it travelled from Lima to Santiago and back to Sydney, arriving on Tuesday mm -hmm. morning back in Sydney. Uh, did you yep. uh, try and get a seat on that flight? <clears throat> no, I didn't. And, and I'd really like to explain – how, why that is. Mm -hmm. um, when the Chimu Adventures flight option first came up, firstly, it was what the hell is this? Like how is a chartered flight actually option being given to us? It was quite, for me, it was quite a foreign thing. Then it was, this is all the information. If you're interested, email us. So I emailed, of course, I'm interested. Please tell me the information. And it just was so uncertain. It was, you need to this is how much the ticket is, you know, 5,126 Australian dollars for one seat. Okay. No guarantee the flight will go ahead, but you need to pay up front. Um, if your circumstances change and you end up not needing to take the flight, but you've already paid, then you will not get a refund. You will only get a refund if the flight does not go ahead. Um, and you have to understand that this was happening two days basically into lockdown. So, Lockdown was set for two weeks till the 31st of March. Um, That's because it's been that extended time, now. Yes, it has been extended now. But at that time, you're making a decision based on the facts that you have at the time. And at that time, it was a bit risky. I didn't really have $5,000 disposable at my, you know, right there with me. It was uncertain if it would go ahead. Then I'm thinking, well, lockdown's for two weeks. We're stuck here for two weeks. It's cheaper for me to pay for accommodation for two weeks, stay here. Then they lift the lockdown and then I can just reschedule my original flight and go home. So that was the decision that me and my friends made at the time because <clears throat> that's the situation and the circumstance that we were in. And in all honesty, it took them two weeks to make that flight even happen. It kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed back in the end, you know, it might not have, it could have easily not happened too. So that was the reason why I didn't get on the flight. Mm. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, you, you can make a lot of different decisions, <laughs> but unfortunately no one has that um, at the time. No, you don't. And I, and I think that it's really unfair um, for people to judge others um, in these kinds of circumstances. Um, I know a lot of people made a really tough decision to spend the money to get on that flight it's not an easy decision to make. It's not 
a small amount of money. Um, but everyone just has to do what's right for them, you know. Did you have travel insurance? I do. And I, as soon as this all started, straight away went to the website um, <clears throat> and it was clear as mud. Uh, we do not cover anything that is deemed a pandemic. Uh, we will not be, um, you know, covering you for coronavirus. Uh, however, we do encourage you to still submit any claims and we will look at everything, pardon me, on a case-by-case basis. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So much comfort in that. So much comfort. Wow. My, I know with my, my travel insurance policy, I was also overseas um, when, when the do not travel announcement came in. And as soon as the Australian mm-hmm. government declared that the entire world would be level four do not travel, my insurance was mm-hmm. void. So I had absolutely yeah. no assistance <clears throat> either. So, And that's the scary thing. This is the thing. There's so many factors to think about in this situation that you're, you, you almost can't think of everything clearly because everything's just happening so fast. And I think... Back home, nothing happened fast like this. No, like Australia hasn't had to overnight go into complete lockdown and, you know, and so it's, it's a very different circumstance and a very different experience of what we're experiencing in the world at the moment. Yeah, and I believe like at the time that the, the lockdown came in, the DFAT had not yet advised Australians to return home. There had only been, I think, one confirmed case of coronavirus in Peru. So, I mean, it was a known effect, but it was it, there was no way of knowing that it was going to deteriorate this quickly. I mean, there's... No, absolutely. <clears throat> Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of Australians that have been uh, saying that you guys shouldn't have been overseas and you should have known better and not travelled. What what would you say to that? I'd say that that's firstly it's really un-Australian, and that really really disappoints me because, you know, especially at a time like this, we should be helping each other and trying to lift each other up, regardless of why someone was in a certain place at a certain time. Um, like you said, the facts were not we, – South America didn't have anything going on like Europe did and China did at the time. Um, I had left mid-February. Nothing was happening in Brazil at the time. I spent most of my holiday in Brazil. Um, and, you know, it just it just kind of blew up really, really quickly. And I think I don't – people can say what they want, but when you're on a holiday, you're on a holiday – you're busy out during the day, you go, you do touristy things, you're seeing things. You're not sitting on your phone, looking at the news, you know, keeping up with the day-to-day of what's going on, especially back home half the time because you're busy doing what you're doing. So then I feel like it just then hit all of us here like all of a sudden. You know, some people didn't even realise the lockdown was on until it actually was like Monday lunchtime afternoon and it was too late because they were away in a rural, remote area with no access to internet, you know, and then, oh, you wake up early, you get on a bus, you travel for a few hours and then you end up in a city and then go, oh, what's happened? I think it's really unfair for people to bring others down and tell, say that it's our fault and we should have come home. I would like them to not necessarily put themselves in our shoes because they can't, but if it was your daughter, if it was your friend, if it was a family member of yours or someone that you love, stranded, I'm pretty sure that you would not be saying those kinds of things. So I would really like to say to those people, just think twice. Yes, it's not ideal. Maybe some of us could have avoided it, but we didn't do it on purpose. We're not here on purpose. And we just want to get home. Yeah. It's as simple as that. <laughs> like, And we have every right, you know, to want to be home. 
us Peru, us Australians here in Peru, we're not asking for a free ride. Um, we just five thousand dollars is a lot of money. So just something that's reasonable, preferably with a payment option. You know, we're all spending money out of our pockets to stay here because we don't have a choice. Um, that's all we ask. We just ask for assistance. We ask for communication. And we just want to be home. Yeah, and I know that many people that um, wanted to get a ticket on that flight um, couldn't get a flight and get, couldn't get a seat anyway because it was full. <clears> so <throat> there are right. there are still quite a few Australians left in Peru. Are, are you guys are you guys safe? Are you able to buy food and that kind of thing in the meantime? We are. Um, however, as you know, the lockdown got extended till the twelfth of April, and then the curfew got extended just the other day. So curfew was 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. No one's allowed on the street, otherwise you get arrested. That has now been extended from 6 p.m. to 5 a.m. And as of today, uh, at the presidential's address today, he had announced that they want to reduce the amount of people on the street because you can go out to the bank, to the supermarket or to the pharmacy. Um, And I've noticed that, (coughs) excuse me, mainly Monday and Thursday, there tends to be a lot of locals out because they go to the bank to get money. But today he wants he wants to reduce the amount of people on the street, and in order to do it, um, the easiest way to do it is they're going to do it male versus female, rather than they were going to do odd and even numbers based on your like ID. But that's too hard. Police officers would have to ask every single person for their ID. So um, they've decided Monday, Wednesday, Friday, men are allowed to go outside. Tuesday, <clears throat> Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Women are allowed to go outside, as in go to the supermarket or to the pharmacy or to the bank. And then on a Sunday, no one is allowed outside at all. Wow. Wow. Strange times indeed. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. It's quite severe. (laughs) Well, I I hope that uh, you're able to get out soon and that, um, yeah, that this this all has a happy ending at some point. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling me your story. No, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate your time and I and I appreciate you giving me a voice and allowing me to tell my story and hopefully all us Aussies will be home soon enough. For your sake, I really hope so. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Also joining me on this episode is Max Larkin, a chef from East Perth who is currently studying journalism and politics at university and he's currently in Rishikesh, India. Welcome to AFF on Air, Max. And first of all, what brought you to India? Hey, Matt. I came to India about a month and 10 days ago now. I came to explore India because it's an amazing country with heaps of rich culture and also to do a yoga teacher training um, as a hobby. And I think everyone should do it, but that's just my opinion. Okay. So what happened when the lockdown came into force in um, India? When lockdown came, we were already in a semi-quarantine mode because we had we have a lot of uh, Europeans in this ashram. So yeah, I'm living in an ashram right now with six other girls and then the family that runs this place. Um, we had three more girls, but they all left. Uh, they've been leaving over the last few days. Have you tried to return to Australia? I've been trying to leave the country since the 20th of last month. Every flight keeps getting, was getting cancelled or delayed or everything. Just It just wasn't working out. And then um, Modi put in the lockdown for uh, 
the whole country. So it's been impossible to get a flight. And there are now flights from the 15th onwards. So if it lifts, then we will have a flight out. But if it doesn't, then we're going to be stuck here for a while. It doesn't look like the Australian embassy is doing much. They they just sent us a uh, quiz. I don't I can't remember what it's called. Um, asking how much we'd be willing to pay for a flight, and it was like between three thousand or five thousand dollars, and it's just insane. Um, a lot of the people in the group chat that we have would not be able to afford that, and other countries are doing it for free. So I, I don't understand why this is going to cost so much. Like, why can't the Australian government send an expatriation flight? for its people. It's not like we have a bad um, bad relationship with India. So what's it like where you are now? Are you safe and do you have access to food and to drinking water? It's really nice where I am. I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm safe. I, I can stay here for ages. It, the only problem is that it's going to cost me money. So um, eventually, eventually I'll have to find another place or borrow money to keep staying here. Um, just just to pay for my food and board. The lockdown has been extended from 7 a.m. till 11 a.m. to 7 till 1. So people can go out on the streets for a longer period of time. I haven't been out on the streets since, but it's calmed down a lot now and everyone's accepting the lifestyle, which is good. The weather's been really nice and I'm totally safe. I have access to food and water, uh, three solid meals a day. So you're from Western Australia. Are you aware of the WA border closure? Do you think that'll affect your ability to get home? I was not aware of the WA border closures um, because all the flights coming out of India right now are direct to Sydney or Melbourne, but not to WA. So I'm not sure even if I could get a flight to Sydney, I would take it now. That is, <laughs> that's worrying. Um, maybe, uh, maybe I'll be able to get home maybe the government will figure something out here's hoping uh i can't say much more except the australian embassy has not done much they've just got our information and maybe if if i was in a more dire situation they would be helping me um i can't speak for the other people from australia in india right now but we're all kind of desperate to get home and it's worrying because this crisis is pushing a lot of uncertainty and uncertain times on us. Yeah, well, good luck. I, I do hope for your sake and for the other Australians in India right now that a solution will be found quickly. Um, but in the meantime, thanks so much for sharing your story. All right. Thanks, Matt. Well, in the last episode, I told you about my experience getting from Portugal back to Austria. Uh, Two weeks ago when I recorded that last episode, I was in Vienna and in the middle of a lockdown, um, unsure if I was going to be able to get back to Australia. I am pleased to say that I was able to return home a week and a half ago. After rushing to pack up my apartment and complete all of the formalities, uh, which, mind you, wasn't easy when all of the stores and the government offices in Vienna were closed, uh, I did manage to book a flight uh, back to Australia via Tokyo with A&A. The ticket wasn't cheap, but by the time I was able to leave, Emirates had already stopped flying, and in fact, uh, most of the airlines serving Vienna were already grounded. 
And to make things more complicated, Austria's land borders were closed, still are, and the only place in the EU that I would have been able to fly to was Dublin. And that actually was my plan at first. I was going to fly to Dublin with Aer Lingus um, and then use Qantas points to pick up an Emirates flight from Dublin to Sydney via Dubai. But as we now know, the UAE government banned transit passengers uh, with just a day or so's notice, and I ended up missing out by a day. So I did fly back on ANA. It was one of the only airlines still operating other than Qatar Airways at the time. Uh, a quick shout out to Alan Lamb, who's the travel agent that regularly comes on this podcast. He was a great help to me in organizing uh, my flights home. The whole time I wasn't sure whether my flights would operate and I didn't want to pay for a flight and then have it cancelled on the last minute. So Alan agreed to wait until the inbound ANA flight to Vienna had departed from Tokyo before ticketing my booking. So that was a great help. I've flown out of Vienna International Airport many times, but I have never seen it even nearly as quiet as it was last week. There were two shops open in the entire airport. They were both um, landside. So once you got uh, past the security and immigration, there was absolutely nothing open. It was a completely, it was a ghost airport. It was almost creepy. There were so few scheduled flights, in fact, that some flights were listed on the arrivals board four or five times just to fill in extra space. On my flight from Vienna to Haneda, there were about 20 passengers. Uh, so a very light load for a, a 7879 Dreamliner. Uh, this this was actually a really pleasant flight, I must say. I had lots of room to spread out, obviously, uh, and the cabin crew were quite bored and had lots of spare meals, so they kept feeding me, which was which was nice. Um, and I mean, I have to say, I, I have also uh, flown on A and A previously during normal times, and they were great then too. Um, and this was no exception. So the next morning, I, I landed in Haneda around seven a.m. And uh, on that, that actually happened to be the day that they announced the Tokyo Olympics would be postponed. So that was kind of strange to be arriving in Tokyo then. But anyway, my connecting flight to Sydney was later that night at 10 p.m. And so ordinarily with such a long layover, I would have headed into the city. But um, given the circumstances, I didn't do that. I hung out in the A&A lounge in Terminal 3 for the day. Um, I was quite surprised to see that it was even open, but um, it, it was open. Um, although for most of the day, there were more staff than guests. Um, by this point, around 80% of the flights out of Tokyo had already been cancelled. So my, my flight to Sydney was still running and there were still a few others to the US um, and a few other places, but a lot of them had been cancelled already. Uh, but yeah, the lounge was still uh, running more or less normally. There's a great noodle bar in the A&A lounge at uh, Terminal 3, so that was nice. And I'm also a big fan of those Japanese-style beer dispensers they have. Uh, the only thing that was a bit out of the ordinary, perhaps, was that there were two A&A employees that would spray your hands with hand sanitizer every time you entered the buffet area. Um, obviously, that's completely fine, and um, everyone was very happy to comply, but it's just something that you wouldn't normally see. That evening, it just happened to be um, the second last Qantas 747 flight from Tokyo back to Sydney before Qantas suspended flights out of Tokyo. And I wandered down to the gate uh, while that flight was boarding just to see what was going on. It actually looked uh, quite full, that flight. Uh, but I, I was flying on A&A, and that flight only had around 25 passengers. 13 of them, including myself, were in economy class. So once again, there was no shortage of seats to lie down on for the overnight flight. So that was that was nice. When I got off the plane in Sydney, I, um, everyone was given a coronavirus information form and a face mask. And everyone was also asked to complete a self-isolation declaration card. 
We then had to go through health screening. There my temperature was taken and I had to speak to a biosecurity officer about the self-isolation arrangements. Um, I was feeling fine, a bit tired perhaps, but but healthy. Um, and so I was then allowed to clear immigration and customs. Um, and that, that whole process took about an hour. Um, now, of course, the experience now for someone that's arriving back into Australia will be quite different. Since the start of this week, the government is now putting everyone into mandatory hotel quarantine for two weeks at their point of arrival into Australia. So um, I, I was lucky to arrive before that was implemented. Um, and so um, I'm from Canberra. After clearing customs, I headed over to Terminal 3 and took a domestic flight home to Canberra on a Dash 8. Um, and funnily enough, that flight, um, after two international Dreamliner flights going on to a Dash 8 to Canberra, that flight had the most passengers of any flight that I took on the trip home. It was actually kind of full. Um, but yeah, I'm back now in Canberra and I'm now halfway through my two weeks of self-isolation. And I have to say, even though I don't like the circumstances, it is a relief to be home. With so many people now stranded overseas, and not just Australians, many governments have been organising repatriation flights. And as a result, we've seen some airlines in Australia over the past few weeks that we would never normally see. Last week, for example, a lot Polish airlines Boeing 787 flew from Sydney to Warsaw via Singapore. Elal has also operated repatriation flights from Tel Aviv to Perth and to Melbourne. Uh, and we've also seen Austrian airlines in Sydney. Austrian airlines flew non-stop from Vienna to Sydney last week without any passengers um, and then returned with a plane load of Austrian citizens uh, from Sydney to Vienna with a stop in Penang. Now, that, that flight was paid for by the Austrian government. Um, it's a shame that they didn't allow passengers on the, inbound, on the inbound flight to Sydney. That Vienna to Sydney connection would have actually been quite convenient for me. But anyway, that's okay. Um, we've also seen Condor, Boeing 767s in Perth, uh, sent to repatriate German citizens from cruise ships off Western Australia. Uh, Lufthansa flew to Auckland last week on a, with a Boeing 747. And a Nepal Airlines A330 flew to Brisbane this week to repatriate Australian and New Zealand citizens that were in Nepal. Uh, with Singapore closed to transit passengers, we've also seen some interesting Qantas flights. Last week, Qantas flew several A380s from Sydney to London via Darwin, um, avoiding that stop in Singapore. Um, but as you'll be aware, all Qantas international flights are now grounded for the time being, and that means that the A380, Boeing 787 and Boeing 747 fleets are now on the ground for the foreseeable future. Qantas had planned to retire its Boeing 747s by next year anyway. There's only five left in the fleet as it is. But this may now be brought forward. Unfortunately, there's little prospect of Qantas's Boeing 747s returning to commercial service anytime soon. Um, and although there hasn't been any official announcement from Qantas, there are rumours that the planes might have now been sold as well. With this in mind, the final Qantas 747 flight to arrive in Sydney last Sunday received a special welcome. Last Sunday's QF28 from Santiago conducted a flyover of Sydney Harbour, right over the Harbour Bridge, which was broadcast live on Channel 9. Now, I hope the Qantas 747 will be back in the skies soon, but uh, it looks like this may have been the last flight. So, as a special tribute to this final flight, here are a few clips from the air traffic control conversations with QF28. 28, you can resume our navigation and uh, once established at 3000, track as required over the harbour. Well, what we'd like to do is go over the bridge, get to 
you up the river and a left turn over the uh, Iron uh, Cove Bridge. Cross 28, you uh, can expect that. Cross 28, position of being the field now on left downwind, you got about uh, 29 to run. Heavy Sydney Tower, good afternoon. There will be helicopter traffic operating to the west of the runway, so uh, in the unlikely event of a missed approach, continue straight ahead. The threshold wind is 01016 knots, runway 34 left, back cleared to land and vacate at taxiway goal. Understood all that, we're clear to land, uh, off at goal, and if we have to make a miss, straight ahead, point It's the last 747 passenger flight on final deck. We'll all be back. Hopefully. That's 28. All the best to you. Contact ground and 126 decimal 5. 1265, thanks. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Corners 28. Ground, uh, hello. Corners 28. We're for gate 59. Corners uh, 28. Uh, grounds, good afternoon. And taxi golf, hold short of uh, International 4, please. We're just uh, waiting for a, a camera crew to get into position to uh, suitably uh, document the, uh, the last arrival of the bay. That's almost it for another episode of AFF On Air. Before I go, a quick shout out to LPS144 on the AFF On Air discussion thread who says, As you were wrapping up the last episode, you were discussing maintenance programs when fleets were grounded. I noticed today that a Qantas A380 VHOQI flew direct from Sydney to Dresden in a little over 19 hours, so one would expect they're still doing some work while this saga is going on. Um, yep, yeah, it looks like it's the case, um, so there you go. There looks like the A380 refurbishment schedule could continue as planned, which is good news. I also wanted to quickly let you know about the next webinar that I'll be hosting over at our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. I know that many of you have upcoming travel booked that you're going to have to cancel, and some airlines are not making this easy. The topic for our next webinar, which I'll host on Thursday the 16th of April, is Navigating Airlines and Frequent Flyer Programs During COVID-19. And in this webinar, we'll look in detail at the various cancellation and refund policies of different airlines, what to do if you have an upcoming travel uh, booking, uh, what airlines and hotels are offering for their elite members, what you can do with your frequent flyer points while you're grounded, and, and a lot more. And of course, if you attend live, you'll also have the opportunity to ask me questions. For more information about this webinar, I'll put a link in the episode notes, or you can also visit frequentflyer.com.au. Well, for more information about anything discussed in today's episode, you can check out the episode notes where you will also find a link to an AFF thread um, where you can discuss this episode. And I've also put a link to some YouTube videos that were created by Yasmin, who I spoke to earlier, um, that she's made while being stuck in Peru. Uh, so go and check those out if you're interested. Otherwise, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be tuned in. I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, take care and stay safe.